0: welcome to the heart soul wisdom podcast a journey of self-discovery and transformation moira sutton and her amazing guests share real life stories tools and strategies to inspire and empower you to create and live your best life come along on the journey and finally blast through any fears obstacles and challenges that have held you back in the past so you can live your life with the joy passion and happiness that you desire now here's your host create the life you love empowerment life coach moira sutton
1: Welcome to season three, episode 59. What if you are overweight because you overgive? We have our special guest today, International Mindset Coach, Suzanne Culbert. Suzanne is a healer and she's the author of The Beginning is SH Star T, an unapologetic weight loss memoir. As a mindset coach, she helps women transform their bodies and their minds. She believes women often overconsume. This could be food, work, social media, because they give too much to help others. She helps women deal with negative patterns of behavior, to build their self-esteem and their self-confidence, and to learn to say no to others so they can say yes to themselves. Suzanne is known by her clients as the Velvet Hammer, as she is equal parts loving, yet no BS. She lives in Sydney with her two beautiful children and her beautiful husband, So without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Suzanne Culber. Welcome, Suzanne.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Moira.
1: You're down under. What's it like down under today?
2: I was going to say it's the future. It never gets old. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's already the next day when I'm talking to you. And it is cool because it's winter here as we're recording. But um, yeah, it's sure to be a nice
1: day. That's fantastic. I was going to... In my, let's see, my late 20s, just before I turned 30, I was looking to move to Australia because I'm an outdoors person and I wanted to move there. And I even had a a visa that I got to work there. And then different things happened. And I I landed back in Ontario, London, and Toronto and met my husband. And there you go.
2: (laughs) Have you ever been for a visit?
1: I have not, but it's on my list. And Oh, yes. Yeah, my parents made the decision... They were going to either immigrate from Scotland to Australia or Canada. And I said, why didn't you do Australia? But it was because my father's parents had come here. So he wanted Ah. to be by his parents. So they came and I went, I would have liked Australia. (laughs) (laughs) But there you go. Everything unfolds perfectly. So exactly. Yes. Suzanne, thank you first for sending me the copy of your book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's, you know, it was heart wrenching as you have in the bag. You really held as you say on the book, with no holds barred, like you shared from your heart with humor and grace, literally, you know, what's possible with determination and willingness to look for answers was just one of my questions for you in unexpected places. Tell me, what was your, your big why, why, you know, your vision behind writing your memoir? What got you to say, I need to share this story?
2: That's an excellent question. So when... Oh, I've always been an avid reader my entire life. I, I can remember being a, a young child in before the days of mobile phones. Like my kids, they've got a whole new level of ways they can get away with things. But with the torch under the blanket, with the book, like in Harry Potter when I saw that mm. in the movie, I was like, yes, that was me as a kid. And then mum and dad come and turn the torch off and like, why are we going through so many batteries? I don't know. <laughs> 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 so I've always been an avid reader and I... I especially loved weight loss before and after stories because I had struggled with my weight for my entire life, but I never found a story quite like my lived experience. Most of them had been before my life was terrible and I was overweight and unhappy. And then after I lost the weight and I rode off into the sunset but they never talked about after the after and all of them seemed to go like heavy, to light. There wasn't any up and down. There was like, they were committed. They made the decision. They changed their life. And Mm. I was like, where are the stories like mine? Like up and down and up and down and up and down. And is it because people don't publish them because they're not the success in inverted commas, or is it so many things? And then I was like, like maybe the reason you haven't found the book that you want to read is because you're the one who is meant to write it. <laughs> so, brilliant? yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're right. You know, when you're, it's not just straight from A to B. It's, it's you know, windy roads up and down, you know, tripping, falling, getting up again, wondering if you can do it again, all those things, right? Mm-hmm. When did it begin for you, this personal weight loss journey? How old were you? And, you know, let's share some of these frustrations and obstacles that you had along the way because you you kept going
2: (laughs) So so my first weight loss like my first diet my parents put me on at age four to fit in the flower girl dress for my sister's wedding so that's like the beginning of the book Mm-hmm. And um, we we just started on a Monday and we cleaned out the pantry. I'm sure the story is not unfamiliar to many listeners who have had a dieting history. Like Monday is going to be the universal day we change our lives. Mm-hmm. And then by Thursday or Friday we would have just been like quit and spectacularly binge all weekend just to clean out the cupboards on Sunday night and start again. And that was like my life from, you know, age four through age 18. I did have some losses. Like there were some times where I was a bit more committed. I lost a bit of weight in high school. I think I wrote about that in the book. Um, you know, and for me, anything under 20 kilos didn't really even rate a mention, which is, you know, just over 40 pounds. So like I'm, I'm e- efficient at <laughs> losing and regaining large numbers of kilos. But then my first like official attempt on my own was uh, when I was about 20, I'd moved out of home. And I was in my fourth year of uni. And in that stage, I lost 43 kilos, which is just shy of 100 pounds.
0: Oh, wow.
2: um, so that was a lot. I, I did Weight Watchers and I joined a gym and I actually left uni at that stage. I was in my fifth year of medical school and I was like, I found the answer. It's personal training. <laughs> so I actually um, left my uni degree and did a certificate three and four in fitness and became a personal trainer. and. Um, That's when, like, I really, in in hindsight, like, you know, what they say life is lived forward, but understood backwards, Mm
0: -hmm,
2: I really leaned into the overgiving energy because people think, oh, personal trainers, they must be so fit, but not really not good. Personal trainers is in, you're not exercising yourself. You're there for your client and you're, um, you know, standing with them and taking them through it. You're not working yourself out. So I didn't look after myself and I basically, personal trainers worked when other people don't. So I did a very early mornings and in the middle of the day, I'd just veg out and then late in the evenings and, yeah, I didn't prioritise my own health and I, I started to gain my weight back and then I got married and my husband and I moved interstate like way across the country from our family and, you know, yes, there's a lot of disruptions there, but at the end of the day, there's no passive eating, like there's passive smoking. Like it was me. I... I did it and I regained all that weight back and um, that was really hard. I, I, I was so embarrassed about it. I wrote about it in the book, going to see my family because I was literally twice the person I had been when I got married just over a year ago. Um, and so, yeah, I regained that all with interest and then eventually got the wherewithal again to drop 60 kilos that time. So that's, I don't know, 130-ish pounds and um, then then got pregnant and once again it was like you know, there's a valid excuse if you look at it oh well you know you're having a baby but I took it too far and I regained a lot of that and then I had a very difficult delivery which I wrote about in the book mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think like I'd always wanted two children but after that birth I had a, I had PTSD I don't know if I actually stated that in the book but I was diagnosed with PTSD. And I, I wanted another child, but I didn't. Like I didn't want another pregnancy. So I think part of me kept the weight on because I've heard that when you're really big, a lot of people struggle to fall pregnant. Uh, that wasn't the case for me. I I fell pregnant again. Like we weren't planning, but we weren't not planning. So it was a, a pleasant surprise, but it was also very nerve-wracking on my body. So I gained weight in that pregnancy, and then I was the biggest ever. And so the big turning point for me was having two children who were about to be mobile that I physically couldn't keep up with. Cause I was like, I was at least 150 kilos, which is 330 pounds. My scales only weighed to that. So I could have been more. And that was the point where I was like, no, this, like, this is the time I can't physically, but I can't mentally and emotionally put myself through that yo-yo dieting again. So I knew there had to be something different.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And having children, like you said, and, you know being able to be there for them along with yourself and your husband your whole family
2: yeah well my <laughs> husband worked away too i don't i'm not sure how yes, much it's like you know with the book mm-hmm. you you only can put so much in but yeah my husband was uh, um he was flying fly out for a while and then he was driving drive out so it was just me and the kids my family was interstate and um yeah like with two of them um especially once my son started pulling himself up um and I knew I was going to have two mobile kids i physically couldn't keep up with them that you know something had to change mm
1: mm-hmm. Now, I just want to go back to you because you have a lot in there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's me. I'm a little chunker, so I usually have a lot of things. But seeing that your your mom put you on a diet at four, did you come to terms with that? Did you get angry about that at all and and needed to go through forgiveness for that? Because you're young. You didn't really have a say in it.
2: I I, yes and no. Like, mm-hmm. I...
1: I this isn't a blame game, she, just wondering. No,
2: she did the best she could with what she had at the mm. time. Mm. So, like, for me, it's funny. It's like, how would I have handled this differently? But once again, I have the um, the value of hindsight. So, like, I don't know why it never occurred to her to just get the dress taken out. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if that wasn't a possibility or if she didn't even discuss it or if she just panicked and thought, oh, my kid is big or or whatever. And it's interesting, like, um. My I have two children now, and my son. They, I, I notice they tend to go out, and then they grow up, and then they grow out, and then they grow up. <laughs> and the other the other day, I sent a picture of because my my family's interstate, and my mom's like, "Oh, Suzanne, you know he he's getting a bit big." And I shot that down. I was like, "No, mm-hmm. we we are not having this conversation." Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sometimes our own body hangups pass on, and maybe some of her own body stuff. She want in her effort to save me from it. She actually created it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there is a little bit of like despondency there, but also yeah, you know, that's she.
1: I understand she thought that was in my highest and best. So
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I was surprised in your book, you talk about your medical school that you went to, and, you know, I was really surprised when I read that some of the students even bullied you there because, you know, I thought, as you put, that these would be educated people and, you know, bullying for me is for people who are either insecure or they're ignorant some way, or they're going with the crowd because it's safer for them. You know, what? what's your advice, Suzanne, for people of any age who are being bullied in their life for whatever reason? Because bullying is something, you know. Usually, I've seen it where kids, all the other kids are over there because the bully's going after one person, and they're just thrilled it's not them. Yes, <laughs> just, you know that's one example, and I don't have a, I, I have a real thing about bullying. <laughs> oh, me
2: too, and it's interesting. Um watching it with my kids. Cause I've always been an advocate. So if somebody's bullying, I'll be the one who jumps mm-hmm. in to rescue them and I'll take it on so that they don't have to. And my son's very much like me, but my daughter's, like you described, it's like, Oh, it's somebody else. I'll just hide over here in mm-hmm. the majority because I don't want to risk having their attention come to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I was, I find it interesting. Bullying is more commonly linked to children um, and I think as as adults, we are able to often get ourselves out of situations whereas children can't, like you have to attend school, it's it's mandated and that sort of thing. But even as an adult, like bullying in the workplace and stuff is a lot more common you know than we think, and people just tend to to not say anything or to um, to you know, like withdraw. And I think finding somewhere safe that you can discuss what's going on, whether that be a a family member, a trusted friend, a therapist, a coach, whoever, um, to come up with some strategies. Because I think for me, what's been interesting is nobody ever bullied me as much as I bullied myself. Mm. So when I started to do my real deep self work, I haven't found that experience as much now. Like there'll be some situations where people may make a comment or people may whatever, and I could interpret it as bullying, but I'll be like, you know, what do you mean by that? And like call it out because I'm a lot stronger now. So I'm thinking of how I would have handled that situation at medical school, like the, the version of me now. I wouldn't have backed down the way that I did or let them let them ignore the fact that this was wrong and I want it
1: recanted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That just took me back to a part in your book that I was opening up to how, how you said you bullied yourself because, you know, you talk about, as you named it, like fat camp, you know, and, and things that you said to yourself that you wrote in here, some quotes, you know, it was, it was pretty hard on yourself, you know, when mm-hmm. you were, your inner dialogue. And I think a lot of people do that, you know, or are they compare to somebody else, like because you, because you think about in the, the marketplace, you know, I grew up playing with Ken and Barbie dolls, right? and. I always thought of them as the American, what is it? Apple pie couple. (laughs) I never thought Canadian. I was on American. I don't know why, but um, you know, I, I never met people that looked like that later in life, you know, and my, my thing about, you know, and you say something about this, how, you know, let me just read this. Ah, how you talk about the media, how they've set us up for failure to attain the perfect weight and looks. Can you tell us a bit about your feeling around that? It's, it's interesting
2: because I know for myself and, and a lot of the people that I work with or people that I talk to, it's, we have this time where it's like, if only as I was skinny is when I thought I was fat. So we look back at past pictures of ourselves where at the time we felt fat or we thought we were fat. And now we're like, oh, I wish I looked like that now. And I think when we go on a weight loss journey, like it's portrayed that you will look this way. And most of those things are airbrushed and edited and mm-hmm. whatever anyway. And it's like, so even when you drop the weight and you have, you know, you might have excess skin or saggy or, um, or, or you're just a bigger build than others. Like, it's funny. I look back at some pictures and it was like, I actually wasn't that big in high school, but I do have a big, I have a different shape, a different frame, a different you know body type to others and i think this is what isn't spoken about when people do things like the bmi or something Mm. they're like it's it's not not like you know footballers rugby players are you saying all these people are obese like they're a, a different stature and musculature than than other people and then when you look at like embryologically how we develop the we have the endoderm the ectoderm and the mesoderm um so like the Endomorphs are the heavier set body types, and then the mesomorphs, which is more like you know, your supermodels, rail like tend to be more rail thin or lighter. You can't compare, it's like comparing, you know, an apple and orange, it's Mm -hmm. literally Mm -hmm. different. And I think we get so set in our mind, like, I, I want to look like this, like this is the one that's accepted, depending on your culture. Because in other cultures, you know, heavier people are more around because that tends to mean that they are they richer, like they can afford the food. Or So it's interesting where you're brought up and what your society conditions you to see as the acceptable type and shape.
1: Mm-hmm. And different societies have different, you know, what Look about way back in, I don't know what area where the women that were very big, they were the ones who were, you know, voluptuous. And if you were skinny, you didn't look so good. child <laughs> tra-
2: childbearing hips, they used to say, because, you know, of the the high, um, you know, maternal mortality rate and people with the bigger hips tended to survive childbirth more. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: That's cool. You, you, A quote from your book that ties into that, it, you say stated, which really stood out to me, it has taken trying to fix myself repeatedly to realize that fixing myself was not the answer because I was never broken. I thought that was a really good quote that you, you, know, that you put there and how, you know, I think a lot of people suffer with this not enough, you know, let it be not enough in their size, not enough in our, if we're educated, tall, short black, white, you know, whatever our religion is, whatever, that there's not enough thing that we're, like, here, we're we're whole, we're not broken. How many clients come to you and they feel like they're broken and how do you guide them back to becoming whole? This is a big question. And at peace (laughs) with themselves. As I say,
2: probably almost every of my clients on some level, consciously or unconsciously, or that's what we uncover. And I think that's often when people start working with a coach, mm-hmm. they they can often give up too soon. And I think the, the, the reason for that is when we start to uncover these things, just because they weren't conscious doesn't mean they weren't there. And the way it plays out in our day-to-day life is, say, we are carrying a bit of extra weight and we think, oh, when I lose weight, then I'll be happy and confident. Mm. And then we lose the weight and we're still us. We're not magically more happy or confident and we're like, oh, so it's like, well, might as well eat. And I think, you know, that's part of the basis for yo-yo dieting, but it, it extends beyond that. Like I'm thinking, you know, for myself personally, I I had a, our financial year in Australia ends in, in June. So I was just recently doing my taxes and I was like, oh, I had my best financial year ever. Like, there was yes, there was excitement, but there was also disappointment because it was like, well, I thought when I was making this amount of money that I would feel you know <laughs> this kind of thing, and I think it's the security or the safety or a feeling that we're chasing in an external result, whether it be a clothing size, a number on the scales, amount of money in the bank. None of those external things can give you that inner self worth, that inner enoughness feeling, um, because and then, and the, the more that you you do well, like you increase your money or you drop the weight, it can actually make this feeling worse because you have something to lose. Like once you have an amount of money in the bank or once you've lost weight, you could gain it back or you could lose the money. So it actually increases the gap in this feeling of not enoughness. It mm-hmm. doesn't reduce it. And I think that's what you know causes a lot of internal panic in people because they didn't have that before. And then as you start to come into awareness It's, you know, often sitting with these feelings of of discomfort.
1: Um, It's not something that we're naturally taught to do. Mm -hmm. And just to observe it or observe the feelings that come up or the emotions instead of, you know, pushing it down, let it be food, drinking, uh, shopping too much, whatever, just trying to fill that gap so you don't have to experience that feeling.
2: Yes, I call it the void, fill the void with uh, (laughs) eating or shopping or,
1: Yes or I think too, you know, we're not, we're not really, and it's not just men that were told before, you know, they can't cry and all this. One thing I loved about my husband is he could show his emotions. I thought that was fantastic, you know? And, you know, if we're sad or overwhelmed or anxiety, there's days that we all go through different emotions and I'm, I'm like, I'm sad today. And, you know, just be sad, go be quiet, or whatever you need, walk in nature, but observe that that's come up. And that sometimes that could be even on uh, like, a not just my consciousness, but the consciousness that's happening on the planet, you know, you can pick up on that energy, especially if you're a sensitive, like myself. <laughs> So. Yes.
2: What's funny to say that? So every one of my calls in my program, I always start with "How are you feeling today?" Mm. And for new people, it can make them a little bit uncomfortable because they're never they've never um been asked because we're we're conditioned. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Like you know, I You're never right. ask a question. I don't want the answer to. And I love how in my space or my group, you can be like, "I'm cantankerous. I am, I'm full of rage. I am whatever." And that space is held because you know, feelings are like waves or, or rain or sun, like they're, they're they're fleeting if we allow them. But when we push them down with food or alcohol or gaming or Netflix, you know, that's when I think we build up the tsunami inside. So like, Mm -hmm. it's okay to come to a call cantankerous or mad or sad or whatever, and just give voice to that and have space held for that rather than, well, we can only do
1: things when we feel good. Mm-hmm. And and I always say that emotions is energy and motion. Yes. <laughs> so, so it's always changing and morphing, and just to be in the moment and present. And you know, I teach about being the gratitude dance I used to do when I spoke on cruise lines in in front of groups. So people love that. They just you know attitude of gratitude, it's your attitude. <laughs> yes. Being in that moment, but yeah, emotions are energy and motion.
2: Or well, energy stuck. Stagnate somebody your body if you don't or let saw. it through so yes <laughs> that's true that's
1: true so I want to you have here that we said too the determination and willingness to look for answers in unexpected places helped you that's on the back of your book here uh, to look for answers in unexpected places yes what were those unexpected places and how did you develop that curiosity and willingness to to look for that to be open to that
2: That's a great question. So I think, you know, traditionally or, you know, the the marketing or the media is like dropping weight is calories in and calories out and it's just a simple maths equation and there's this science to it and if you just do this, then this happens. And it's like I, I had a science background. I understand it intellectually, but I think that whole expected dogma totally bypasses what we were just talking about emotions and stuff because you know if I ate how I was supposed to and how I knew like you know I I know what to do I just didn't do it then I um I wouldn't have had the weight issue and I think you know the unexpected places is looking into the mindset because the thing is Mm -hmm. if you're not physically hungry food isn't going to solve the issue. And I think it's um, like it's like um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs or something or other. And they're talking about the base order needs is like food, shelter. Um, and then as you go up, you have higher order needs, and like more intellectual you know, stimulation and spiritual and stuff. And I think often when our higher order needs aren't being met, but we don't even know how to explore or meet them. We fill them with lower order needs, you know, like food. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. kind of like exploring what is really going on. Um, what am I truly hungry for? And you know, when you are feeling unfulfilled or not enough, like this is gonna be a, a journey and you know, sitting with that feeling of discontent or what can I do in this moment to shift it? Like often I'll ask myself, you know, what do I need right now? What do I really love? And it's usually something like a week in the Maldives and whatever. And it's like, okay, cool. So (laughs) that being said, what can you do in this very moment? And it's like, well, I could sit in the backyard and lie on the trampoline and close my eyes and kind of, you know, sit in the sun. Like it's not quite the maldives, but it's a little step. Because I think mm-hmm. sometimes we think we say to ourselves, "Well, I can't have that," and then you know the petulant teenager energy comes out, and then you're in the fridge. So it's like, well, what can I give myself in a little way that is towards that? So the unexpected ways. It's kind of like if hunger isn't the problem, food isn't the solution, but like. I wasn't no longer like I used to put signs on my fridge because that's what I was taught. You know, fridge pickers wear big knickers, or you know, you're not a you're not a dog. Don't give yourself scraps and all this stuff. Ooh. And I was like, that's actually really detrimental mentally to yourself. Um, you know, being really kind to yourself and going, yeah, what is going on? Why am I? doing this what's actually happening and giving yourself space for that Mm. and then looking at things like you know journaling meditating stuff that you know for me and, and growing up in a you know very uh as I say masculine energy productive do kind of thing it's like well you know that's not income producing but you know having that space for self to you know, spend that time. Cause what are we doing all these other things for? And really taking the joy in the little things rather than just the, the big achievements.
1: Mm-hmm. I love with, that you, you reframe that as what are you hungry for? That's a really good question because are you missing out on hugs? Are you missing out on excitement in your life? Have you given up on your dreams? Like there's a, that's a really good question. And, and to really stop and just allow whatever comes up in that space, as you said. Mm. Because I know that even this week for myself, uh, we had major torrential rain. Uh, Was it yesterday? trying to think. Yes, it was. It was yesterday. (laughs) And this week got very busy for me, and I wasn't comfortable on my schedule, all the things that I had booked. And um, I ended up, I had a dental appointment in town, bad roads, like, It was too much for me, and I just more or less called them and told them the truth. Roads out in country here are bad, and are you okay if I cancel? And they were. They just said, no problem, Moira. We'll push out to another dental appointment. And I just took a breather, and I went back, and I went to bed, and I just rested, and I gave myself permission for the day to do whatever that was going to be. And it didn't mean I wasn't going to work or I wasn't going to cook or that, but I was doing it on my own breathing space. Does that make sense? Yes,
2: and I think sometimes, too, similar to what we were talking before about how we're our own worst bully, Mm -hmm. we can also be our own worst critic. Like sometimes we think, oh, we're letting them down or we're being a flake, we're being this. But I think there's a level of honesty of like, you know, this is happening, can we reschedule? Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Like even, um, you know, with the group program that I run and, you know, the work that I do with people, it's like how we feel, isn't a problem. And I think sometimes we make stuff up like, oh, I don't feel well or I've got a headache or whatever. Um, there's a level of honesty, it's like, you know, I just don't want to today. Like I know I said this, like there's different ways to this. So say, for example, it was somebody's wedding. I'm like, oh, sorry, I just don't want to. Well, no, I would go. But say I'd plan to go to the movies with friends. Um, I'm, I'm very shy. I'm introverted. I'm highly sensitive. So sometimes I just need to be on my own. Mm -hmm. And the friends I have now, I'm at the level where I can be really honest and say, look, I, I just can't today. I need an introvert time. And they're like, yep. Suze, we get it. And they would, they don't feel let down and they don't feel like I'm a flake. And we have the level of relationship where I'm like, just can't, as opposed to having to make something up um or or put it on to my kids or something and i think Mm-mm. there's something to just being really honest and then i even do that on my calls that i run sometimes i get on i'm like i don't know if i'm going to be able to do this today i'm i'm just not but then naming it and allowing space for it and then once i get into my my rhythm then it's go time and i think you know people really appreciate that saying where you're at rather than pretending everything's great all the time
1: mm mm-hmm. I want to talk about, thank you, Suzanne. I want to talk about healthy boundaries. As we said at the beginning, saying no and then yes to themselves for their own health and well being. I know I taught uh, a workshop on saying no for your own health and that it's a good thing to learn that word. How do you teach that to, to your clients, how they can create these healthy boundaries? So, the first thing I, I get them to do, and it's a really simple exercise, and if you've got
2: anyone listening or if you, or if you've got a piece of paper there, On on a piece of paper, it doesn't have to be a whole page. It can just be a little corner or whatever. On one side of it, you write yes and then you flip it over and on the other side, you write no. Mm -hmm. You have your little piece of paper and then if someone says, hey, could you, you know, pick up my groceries, get my script or whatever, and you hold that yes side out towards them, you're like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. What are you saying to yourself? what's pointing at you? No. So often people make plans to go to the gym, to batch cook, to do a hobby, to read a book, to whatever. Like they they make the plans, but then they don't ever have time to follow through. It's because they're always saying yes to everybody else. So you're having that little that little sign. It's like when you say yes to others, and I'm not saying be mean and be like, you know, someone needs medical or emergency, mm-hmm. but there's, there's very few actual emergencies in this world. And, you know, sometimes people's inability to be organised, like I remember someone asked me to help them move house at like, you know, 6am the next day. And I've always been like, yeah, sure, I would, I would drop everything for someone else. And I was like, no, oh, I can help you at like 10 on Saturday. And they're like, oh, no, but the movers are coming. And I'm just thinking their inability to get organised isn't my problem. And I know that it can sound really, really harsh, but I think, you know, sometimes we and when we do drop things to help people, especially repeatedly, they come to rely on that and then we're not actually helping, we're enabling mm-hmm. and then we're driving our own selves down, Um and our things aren't getting done. Our house isn't getting cleaned. Our, our passion projects are sitting around gathering dust. And and some level, a little seed of resentment gets born. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, and even like I have quite young children and I have that yes, no sign literally outside my office. <laughs> like right now as we're recording this, it's on a no. So like if there's blood, 100% come in. <laughs> but other than that, you can manage it for the hour that I'm on this call. And then other times to say I'm working, if I'm writing or if I'm doing some admin type thing, the sign will be on yes so they can knock and they can come in. Um, And then the time I have with them, I'm fully with them. So I think sometimes we go about quality time versus quantity. Like I could be with my kids but then be on my phone and scrolling and not really present or I could be with them at the park or going for a walk or watching a movie. So that people are like, oh, you have like you're so strong of boundaries with your kids. And I'm like, yeah, but then they know that when I'm with them, I'm with them. I'm not half tuned out.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that, that that's on your door right now. It's really cool. So let's look at game changers and non-negotiables and how somebody can show up in their life, you know, for themselves. What are What are some other exercises that you would give people to say, you know, and what is your major game changer, non-negotiable? Is it saying yes and no? Is What else would it be for you?
2: So like for me, I have every month I set myself four habits that I am working on and some months they carry over and some months they change and I make them so small that I would be embarrassed not to do them. I call them my pennies because I'm sure you've heard the story, you know, would you rather a million dollars today or one penny compounded every day for 30 days? Have (laughs) you heard that before? I have not. Oh, okay.
1: Oh, this is awesome.
2: <laughs> Moira, would you rather I give you a million dollars right this second or a penny, so like one cent doubled every day for 30 days?
1: I have to figure out my little math here, Suzanne. <laughs> so I'm like <laughs> because at first it's like... Do you're now? like, this is a trick question. No, to tell the truth, I was leaning towards the million dollars, but I'm sure the answer is the pennies.
2: <laughs> yes. So this is the thing, and this is what I work with people on because. It makes so much logical sense to go a million dollars. Thanks. See ya. You know, because you think a penny. So it's one cent, two cents, four cents, mm. eight cents. It's not very interesting. 16 cents, 32 cents, 64 cents. If you roll it out after 30 days, it's 5 million. After the call, do the maths. Like, Or you can Google it because there's tables and everything. But the thing is like with habits and with change and, you know, the work that I do with people and my non-negotiables, it's often we think it, 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 we need to do so much like, oh, my goal's so far away. It's going to be so much effort. It's going to be exhaustive. Oh, my goodness. And then it's just, you know, if it's go hard or go home, <laughs> most of us will stay at home.
0: Hmm. And
2: the whole non-negotiable thing for me is my pennies is like, so it's funny, we're recording this early in the morning. I told you before we hit record, I've already done my walk and you were like, what? I my, know. My penny for my movement, I don't like the term exercise because it makes me think of school and it freaks me out. So like movement. <laughs> oh, I like that. Is um, I put my shoes on and I walk to my mailbox and you might be thinking, oh, wow, like she has a long driveway. Uh, no, it's like 12 steps. And people like, Suzanne, like how could that ever become anything? It's like, it's a penny. It's my one cent. Once I get to the mailbox, I can keep going. It's not that's all I do. It's that that's the minimum. So even on days where I'm feeling sick or days where I'm so exhausted or days wherever, if I do that, that penny is compounding. That's my one cent put in that day. But then what happens is even days like this morning, because I knew I was recording with you and that, I was like, oh, I can literally just do the driveway and come back. It's fine. (laughs) But I kept going and I actually when I got back, because I got up rather early, my husband's also an early riser, he's like, wow, you did a full hour this morning. I was like, yeah, I know. But but the thing is, the penny is what gets you out the door. Because most days, if you're like 45 minutes or nothing, we end up doing nothing. Mm -hmm. But if you've literally got to just put your shoes on and get to the end of the driveway, nine times out of 10, or probably I'd actually have to do the maths. I reckon 19 times out of 20. I go further and some days I do 10 minutes and some days I do 40 and some days like today I do an hour. It's usually my max, but it's like the penny is what compounds. But the thing is where the magic happens is the penny is everything. So when you drop the penny, when you don't walk, when you're like, oh, it's just can't be bothered today. I'm too sick. I'm too tired or whatever. Then you need to start again. So I have four pennies that I'm tracking at any one time. And when I teach this concept to clients, most of them sneakily pick eight or 10 because they're so small. They're like, oh, well, it's fine. But it's the compounding of keeping them. So I have a and I tend to do one about movement, one about mindset, and one about um like eating or, or nourishment. But you know, they can be on anything. So like my writing penny is to open my journal and write the date. That's all I need to do to write the date Um, because, yeah, once I've written the date, I'll usually write a sentence or two or sometimes a page. But it's the the, the trick, I believe, for, you know, minimum standards or making change is to make it really, really small. So on the days where it's like 10 o'clock at night and you're like, oh, I've done nothing, you can, like, quickly do the pennies and go to bed with that sense of achievement rather than the sense of foreboding of, oh, man. Or when you wake up in the morning, like I've already done half my pennies already and it's like half past six as we're recording Mm -hmm. this. So I've already feel like if nothing else happens today, I've achieved things.
1: Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I love that. We moved to Nova Scotia a year ago and we're loving it here. The people, the culture is just beautiful. And we live on a lake now and that's just beautiful. So we're now kayaking and cliff also canoes and people here are walkers. They walk miles and i'm not used to that and so i now like you're saying but i walk down to the mailbox which is about three houses down our garage is not attached to a house so you walk out there to the to get anything that you need so you're walking more the movement part and Mm. and i love that you you know again your reframe is movement and you know this nourishment for our body versus like that word is so nice right nourishment for our soul nourishment for our body what happens, Suzanne, when you work with somebody and or people who are listening today and they come to a weight loss plateau, what can they do to start the process again of moving towards their goals and what they want to achieve? Or is it best to maybe take a break?
2: Well, it's an interesting question because sometimes a plateau is like the body's way of, of readjusting and, you know, so it's kind of like just, you know, riding it out. And sometimes a plateau is like it's interesting to say a movement, you know, or or, or joining the gym, people start to do something. And in the beginning, it's a challenge. So if you join the gym and you start attending a fitness class and you were previously a couch potato, no judgment, like (laughs) I get it. In the beginning, that class will be a challenge for you because, you know, your body is used to not moving. We don't continue to increase the endurance so the body gets used to that so it, of course it's going to reach a plateau because we're no longer putting it under just dist- like eustress so whenever we you know there's eustress and distress and stress is the good stress EU stress. so it's like so sometimes like, i think this is where like i went wrong when i was younger is I kept increasing the time. So like that time that I dropped 43 kilos was before I had kids. I was at the gym four hours a day. Like that's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's not just the time. You can increase the intensity. You could increase the weight. So if you're doing like one of my clients, one of her pennies is um, this little bicep curls with like a hand weight. And I remember when she first started, she was using a kilo and that was a challenge back then. And so now it's still however many curls, like the number, the penny hasn't changed in, in, in time, but the weight that she lifts uh, is much heavier. So, you know, a, a way out of a plateau is like, you know, to either increase or to change things up. So if you've been doing like your penny for walking, um, for me, sometimes my penny for movement will be plank or a wall sit, or squats, or like you know, changing the, the muscles that we're using, changing the things that we're doing, so that our body is you know, re shifting and readjusting rather than you know, getting used to and comfortable in the same things that we're doing.
1: Mm. I think you talk in the book. Well, I know you talk in the book, so I think <laughs> you talk about um, one of the programs that you went through for losing weight. I think it's the one you paid $1,800 for a week, um, but you also repeated. Um, one of the programs, but you realized they were like, you were all excited the first week you lost, you know, lost pounds and totally excited, did everything they wanted. Then you went for another week and the second week was the same. So would that, what happened to you that, because it was just like the same versus it wasn't. Well, new with you?
2: that, I think that's totally different because when you're doing something like that stressful to your body, um, I think the first week I lost, I lost water and probably muscle. So another thing for people too is how often do you weigh in? Like I used to weigh weekly, and what I would find is I would only lose weight or release weight because I don't like to lose anything. Everything I lose, I find again. But um one week out of the month, because one week I would tend to gain that time of the month, as women tend to do with their cycle. And then two weeks I would stay about the same. And then on one week I would drop. So it evened out. So like looking at how however you're measuring yourself, what is your cycle? So I noticed, you know, week the same, week the same, week down, like really down, week up. So I just started measuring monthly. So the other thing too is if you're plateauing and you're you're measuring yourself weekly, maybe start monthly or even quarterly or change from just the scale, because the scale can be a fickle beast, depending on what you've eaten and salt. And so many things can, you know, um, change that number, maybe doing measurements or photographs. And when you do your photos from all angles, back, front, sides, headshot, because it's amazing. I, I don't think I talked about that in the book, but I did do photos every single month. And some months, you know, from one side, it looks the same, but then the other side, just incredible shifts the body is fascinating
1: in how mm. it moves and changes no you didn't talk about that in the book but that's great and um, thank you for sharing that you talked about cycles that how do hormones affect weight loss and how much water does our body really retain well it's
2: I, I'm, i'll preface this answer with: i'm not a nutritionist dietitian or mm-hmm. anything like that kind of thing mm-hmm. but for me if i eat steak or something really, really salty, like when I used to weigh in weekly, especially when I did the programs, I did that, I would notice um, the next day on the scale I could hold a kilo or two. Um, at that time of the month, I could hold up to three kilos. And what's, what's most fascinating, looking at how our bodies work and stuff, so when I had um, my tummy tuck, I talked about that in the book, they removed 3.3 kilos of skin And I got home from the hospital and weighed myself and I actually weighed heavier. So it's fascinating because they'd taken off 3.3 kilos of skin. Plus I hadn't really eaten because, you know, that's quite a a recovery and I was quite unwell. Um, But I was holding that much fluid from the operation and everything. So I think sometimes when we're looking at a scale for a result and we're beating ourselves up, like this is where we lose sight of the penny because we're looking for the instant thing, Um, you know, like water retention and stuff can be incredible, especially depending on the body. Like I know that I would have been 3.3 kilos less. They had removed that physically from me, but the number on the scale was heavier. So I don't even weigh myself anymore. I haven't weighed myself in the only time I've weighed myself is when I had to have a surgery last year, um, because the number doesn't matter. And it does my head in so much that it's like, it's not worth it.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't used to weigh myself a lot and I got into doing it the last year for some reason. And yeah, it does something to your mind when you go on like, oh, what I got, I got heavier. What did I eat last night? I don't like that number, you know, versus just really thinking well, you're eating healthy, maybe exercise a bit more, you know, whatever, just look at my lifestyle, right? Because this is about lifestyle. Yeah, and
2: how you feel? Like, how do you feel in your body? Like for me, I know right now I'm carrying some COVID kilos. I don't need the scale to tell me that. I can feel it in my clothes. I can feel it in just you know how I feel, but I'm not panicked or freaking out like I would be in the past. I'm like, it will work itself out. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, walking that bit further in the morning or you know, looking at, you know, what what it is that I'm eating or when I'm eating that isn't serving me and and knowing, you know, sometimes you know, I have a lot going on and I'm consciously choosing to do this as opposed to beating myself up because, you know, then there's guilt and shame on top of it. So, like, mm-hmm. even if my weight is up a bit, I don't feel that mental weight that I would have in the in the past because it's like it will work itself out.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For me, it's interesting because I, I said to my husband that I, I felt because I'm going back to doing conscious channeling, it's going to be an expansion of the work that I do. Um, I've done it before, but I'm going back to it. I, I really feel from a intuitive point of view that if I'm getting a little bit heavier to do that channeling, to be grounded.
0: Yes.
1: And and I've already said to the angels and my guides and that this is the weight, the top weight that I want for this, <laughs> because I've already put out that I'm going to be doing this and no, I don't want to be that this is, this is, I'm okay with this number. And that is a number for me, like, and how I feel. And And like you said, you can feel it in your body, but I do feel that that's, why that's happening so that's just an intuitive so and my intuition is pretty good yeah no that's (laughs) spot on yeah how does resistance training such as lifting weights like you talk about the curls that one of the pennies was for one of your students or clients how does that help prevent metabolic slowdown and you know as you're developing this more toned muscular body and to lose fat
2: well it's it's fascinating because like the endomorph body types, you know, which I have, and most of my clients are, um, we, we tend to do better with, you know, weight training because the more, like, muscle that you have, the higher your basal metabolic rate, so, your, you know, your resting amount of calories that you burn without doing anything. Yet traditionally we're taught cardio, cardio, cardio because, you know, it burns more calories for the time that you're doing it, like if you go for a run. But it's kind of like looking at the overall picture. If your resting muscle mass is higher, so you're burning more calories just sleeping, as opposed to having to put the you know effort in to go for the run. And then a lot of people will freak out and go, well, I don't want to build muscle, like I don't want to be Arnie or I don't want to be like a weightlifter. But you know, the female body doesn't tend to. We don't have enough, you know, testosterone and stuff to build muscle mass in that way. And also too, as we age, like um I I'm happy to share, and I've shared with my newsletter list last year I had to have a hysterectomy. Um it's a whole medical story, but anyway, because I had it under 40, I'll be at increased risk of um, osteoporosis because of the link between um when you when you go through menopause, and that was obviously a <laughs> instant menopause, mm. and um and, you know, what it does to calcium and all these sorts of things, but like, you know, bone density and, and, you know, and it doesn't need to be like she, this, that client is doing curls, but even things like, you know, squats, lunges, like, you know, wall sits, body weight exercises, you know, for increasing your um the, the strength of your bones and, and muscles and stuff. I was getting, I was getting way off track with this, but. Um, no, this is great. Great information. No, <laughs> it, it's kind of like. You know the the body weight resistance of things is really really powerful. That's why I like too, especially um, if because I've got chronic pain as well. I have a, a back injury. I know I did talk about that in the book. A lot of the things that I do are in the pool, um, because then the water takes a lot of the the pain away. And if you, it's so funny. The first time I went to the pool and I saw people doing aquaerobics and they had the little dumbbells. I was like, because in the air they don't feel like anything. <laughs> But mm-hmm. as soon as you put them under the water, you're like, oh, hello. But then, you know, that's your your own resistance. So it's kind of like finding these things that you can do. And also above anything with movement, it needs to be something you enjoy. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, people often ask me what's the best way to um, exercise? The way that you enjoy. Because if you don't like it and you're gritting your teeth and bearing it and forcing yourself then you're not going to do it in the long term you're going to it's going to be a penny that you drop repeatedly so you know that's why mine is often a walking one because i i quite enjoy it i listen to podcasts you know like this one um <laughs> and or i can just go in nature or i explore my neighborhood um
1: if you don't like it don't do it mm-hmm. i know that at one point i was swimming and i started Kind of like what you're saying every day. I was started with 10 lengths, 20 lengths, and, and then I got up to 40, 50, and I got up to 100, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I wasn't one of those triathlon swimmers. I was like, you know, the flutterboard side, you know, back. Yes, yes, <laughs> it just, yes. It just whatever way I did it. And then the pool got very, very busy, and I couldn't do that anymore there. But that was something I thoroughly enjoyed. Now, I want to ask you before – Because I know we have so much in here that we're saying and I can also see the time going and I want you to share a few more things. One thing, if you could turn back time, Suzanne, what would you say to your 18-year-old self? I would
2: say your best gets to get better. (laughs) Because I've always done my best. Yes. and you know always even now and i think sometimes you know when i learn something new especially something i could help a client with or you know something my go-to would be to beat myself up that's the bully part of me going oh if you knew this back then and then it's like well you did your best back then mm-hmm. and your best gets to get better so when you mm-hmm. learn something new or you discover something you didn't know before it's like this this is my best getting better
1: uh thank you that's that's great advice for everyone listening today To wherever you are in your journey, let it be like, this is thinking back to 18, but what a beautiful uh, wisdom gem, you know, to whatever age you're at and not have regrets, just it's going to get better. Like, you know, your life, if you don't like where you are right now, you can change it. If you like what Mm -hmm. you have, you can keep it. (laughs) So I wanted to ask you if you could read from your book, five statements that you have learned throughout your whole journey that you'd like to share in like a little summary.
2: Yeah, sure. Thank you. I love this. So I said, here it is from the book. If I had to sum up what I've learned throughout this whole journey into five statements, they would be, one, you're allowed to be both a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. Two, what you do today matters. Who you are today is the result of the decisions you made a year ago. Who you are a year from now is the result of the decisions you make today. Three, you can't hate yourself happy or punish yourself skinny. You can't do all the things you loathe and expect to live a life you love. Food and exercise are both sources of nourishment, not things to be earned or controlled. Four, there is no before, there is no after, there is only ever now. And five, you must show up for yourself. When you make showing up for yourself a non-negotiable priority, that's when the game changes.
1: Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I'm just taking it in, everyone, everyone. I was like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and the gift really isn't truly really in the present moment for sure. Suzanne, I would love you to share with our listeners the special gift that you created that you'd like to gift to them today. Please note all the links to connect up with Suzanne and everything she's doing. And your gift will be below in the show notes.
2: Oh yes, I was thinking special gift. I remember now.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I I don't do a lot of one-on-one coaching anymore. I'm I'll be honest. I mostly run a group, but for uh, the listeners of this podcast, I have a link that uh, Moira will put in the show notes. And there is a code where you can get a discount. And I can't remember how much it was. Oh, that's okay. that's it, it, was, 20, it was nice. I think it was 20% off. I, it, I apologize. It was a nice gift. Nope. It's nice. Gift. Um, yeah. So there's a code. Um, I think it's your name, Moira. But uh, um, as I said, I'll show you and show you, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. And um, yeah, you can book in a one on one session with me. And it just like, the, the thing I want to um, offer if, if you're thinking about this, because I know for me when at, at the beginning, um, <laughs> that's why it's the beginning is shh with my book, I, I could put a lot of pressure on myself. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to have this session with this person. It's going to be the thing. And if that's you, I just invite you to, to take a breath and be like, you know, this is an hour that we're going to spend together that, yes, does have the potential to change the trajectory. However, don't put all that pressure on yourself or wait for the perfect time or be like, okay, after I've spoke to Suzanne, nothing bad's ever going to touch my lips again. I'm going to eat like this for whatever. It's one moment in time mm-hmm. that, you know, and one little shift that you got from that call, your, your penny, like if you book that call and it's like, we're going to work out my pennies, <laughs> And then whenever your brain goes, to, but I need to be doing all the things is no, 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 no pennies, because we can get so far ahead of ourselves and Mm -hmm. put so much pressure on ourselves. And I don't want anyone to ever feel that baby steps, pennies compounding over time, make millions, not all the things you do at once and then drop and beat yourself up about.
1: Mm. Such a wisdom gem again. Thank you, Suzanne. I want to say to the audience, too, who are listening, if you'd like to hear more of these heartful conversations as Suzanne and I had today. I invite you to subscribe, like, rate us. This builds our community to raise the consciousness and the vibration of the planet so we can heal humanity and each other. And we will continue to bring amazing guests that inspire and empower you to create and live your best life as Suzanne did today. Suzanne, thank you for sharing from your heart and your soul your wisdom on what if you are overweight because you overgive. Namaste, Suzanne.
2: Thank you, Maura.
0: Thank you for listening to the Heart Soul Wisdom Podcast with Moira Sutton. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please join our community at MoiraSutton.com and continue the discussion on our Facebook page, Create the Life You Love. You will be part of a global movement connecting with other heart centered people who are consciously creating the life they love on their own terms. Together, we can raise our consciousness for the greater good of humanity and for our planet.